Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with jazz drummer Jerome Jennings. He spent his childhood in Cleveland, Ohio. From there, he moved on to Columbus, then Indianapolis, and finally his current home of New York City. He is in the midst of promoting his new 2016 release called The Beast, and he's had quite a journey since he graduated from Rutgers University in 2004. He's played in every major club in New York City from the Village Vanguard, Birdland, The Blue Note, and Dizzy's Coca-Cola Club. Along with traveling and performing in over 25 countries, he's played with legends like Sonny Rollins, Hank Jones, Christian McBride, the Count Basie Orchestra, Wynton Marsalis, and so many others. He's got great insights and solid stories. So dig this cat in this interview, my friends. Jerome, it's an honor to speak with you. Thank you for taking some time out to talk with me today. I appreciate it. Oh, man, thanks, thanks for the call. I, pre- I appreciate you, you know, <laughs> taking interest. Absolutely, man. I, I love the album, but before we get to the album... The Beast, I want to talk about what is going on with you lately. Just kind of a snapshot of activity in your life. I'm a member, currently a member of uh, Christian McBride's trio, and I've been playing in his band for about a year and a half now. That's been a fantastic experience. Actually, I'm actually out on the road right now with Bria Schoenberg, trumpeter, singer from British Columbia. She's doing quite well, and and, and I'm uh, happy to be out with her. I am currently instructor at Lincoln Center's uh, jazz youth jazz program. I'm, I'm happy to be an instructor for that. I am a lecturer through Jazz at Lincoln Center's Swing University program, which which is pretty cool. I got an opportunity to teach a Max Roach of a, a four week Max Roach course course just solely on the, the musings uh, of Max Roach. And I called the class the political and social musings of Max Roach. <laughs> Very cool. Which is pretty which is pretty cool. And and doing gigs around around New York when I'm back in town. Place called Dwayne Park, which is a they call it upscale burlesque <laughs> uh-huh. uh, place. It's a really tough gig because it, and I and I take it very serious because like ninety nine percent of the drummers who I listened to growing up and, and, and who I look up to and respect, uh, they they all played for dancers at one point. Uh, yeah. From Sonny Greer to uh, Benny Benjamin, like these guys, you had to play for dancers and singers. So it's a pretty cool situation when I can be there. Unfortunately, I you know I haven't been able to make that. But I also worked with NJ Pack. I was the drum instructor for their youth program. Unfortunately, I'm, one they, I'm not able to really participate in that this year because of uh, road work. I, I, you know, I'm just getting back from a month-long tour with Christian McBride's trio, um, and half of that tour, um, one half was the trio, the other half, uh, David Sanborn joined us, and that was absolute, like, I had a ball. David Sanborn is very underrated. <laughs> and, yeah. In, in in hardcore jazz circles, let me say that. <laughs> sure. sure. You Absolutely. Know, you, know, you know. So I mean, that's pretty much an overview, and and my my recording is taking up quite a bit of my time as well. <laughs> yeah. No, that's yeah. cool, man. That's cool. That gives me a good overview, and and I do want to talk about your recording, which I received, and I I really really dug it. Talk to me about how you feel about it now in the afterglow, and give me an idea of what it was like in the studio. What kind of conversations were you having? You know, it's it's interesting because 
I actually recorded a, a, a album years before, but it, it was something wasn't wasn't right, Joe. Something I mean, you know, it's just I felt I didn't feel right like putting it out. Uh, it, it had a different personnel. The only guy that was a part of the recording then was uh, that that was on this current recording was Deion Tucker, the trombone player. And I, I you know, I didn't want to just put something out. This particular recording. It was almost like the perfect storm for me. Yeah. Because, you know, I joined Christian's band and I had completed a couple ch- charts. I mustered up the courage <laughs> to ask him if he would perform on the on the record. And he, he was he was happy to do it actually and, and you know, I you know, we're we're living in an independent world right now in terms of artists artistry and, and, and music you know, musical artists. We can do a lot on our own. You know, when you don't have, you know, if you opt to not have the machine behind you, I, I realize, it, you know, people will look out for you. You know, if they believe in, you know, your 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 playing and they believe in the music and 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 they just, I guess, like you, they'll 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 help you out. And the experience in the studio, leading up to leading up to the rehearsal and experience in the studio was was absolutely uh, was almost a dream come true better than a dream because these guys they were so accommodating so easy to work with they played my music um i don't know if you saw the epk that we put out but I, you know i mentioned that they played my music so well and they took they took the music so serious i'm a side man joe i mean normally i'm i'm i'm, I'm a side man and yeah. I take I take everybody's music very serious. Almost, I tell my students, and I almost I use the analogy of uh, 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 when you play when someone asks you to play their music, it's almost like you're 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 babysitting your children. <laughs> yeah, you know? absolutely. And and, sure. and you have to take care of them. And 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 they took care of my music. They made sure everything was uh, uh, you know they were very accommodating. Sean is a good friend of mine. I grew up with Sean. Well, you know, I, I knew I've known Sean longer than all of the guys. Sean Jones. And he he was a hundred percent down to record. Everyone had a great attitude in the studio, and it and it didn't take long at all. It took us like seven seven hours to do everything. <laughs> right on, man. <laughs> I'm always amazed at that when you when you guys get in the studio as jazz musicians, especially you guys just go to work, man, and you just hang it out. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. Let's let's get to your hometown, which right now is going through a very very clear sports renaissance in Cleveland, Ohio. Oh God, man! Christ. You know, it's and it's kind of what Jesus happened Christ. in Kansas City last year. It was like all of a sudden we went through these dark ages, and now you guys got an NBA championship. The Indians went to Game Seven, which I will tell you right now, be, being in the AL Central and having that taste in your mouth, the Royals didn't stop till they won it. So Cleveland's going to be right. on a tear. They're going to be on a tear next year. That's all there is to it. <laughs> they are. They are. I mean, do you remember the '90s? Oh my God! Al- do I? Albert Bell, Carlos Baerga. Yeah. yeah. They went twice. <laughs> well, no, yeah, they went. But, what, how many? Yeah. They were good. They That's were right. good. But it was like it was just tasting that champagne at the end. That was the key. Oh my God, man! And we still didn't taste it yet. But it's all right. We're coming back. You'll get there for sure. So let's talk about your childhood in Cleveland. What what was it okay. about your what was it about your upbringing that got you to a point where you fell in love with jazz and music? I'll tell you, Joe. My my dad had 
a very extensive jazz collection. But it's interesting because his his collection he had a he had some acoustic jazz. He had some some Maugie Miller. Uh, you know he has he had a, a, a bunch of Freddie Hubbard, but his his thing was this I guess you could call quote unquote acid jazz, like yeah. like CTI fusion. I mean my my dad was deep in the Chick Corea. Actually, I just learned like two weeks like two months ago that the first date he took my mom on. Like when they, you know, when they went out on a date at courting was a return to forever concert. Wow. With Lenny White. And I was like, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, so he was deep into that. I mean, uh, Mayu Vishnu, Herbie Hancock, my, you know, Mamandishi, John McLaughlin. He was deep into Santana. He had a lot of uh, Jimi Hendrix, though he wouldn't let me listen to it. But <laughs> You would go. You would go over to my uncle's house, and he would have the acoustic side of jazz. He would have your your, your Art Blakey's and, and whatnot. Um, and that when that when that's going on around you, just you know, you're over your aunt's house. She's babysitting you, and you're hanging out playing video games. But in the background, your 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 uncle is listening to uh, Stanley Turrentine. You know, Joe, it, it kind of like sinks in subconsciously even if you don't play you you gain an appreciation for it you know and that was kind of the deal that was kind of the deal i i I didn't like really fall in love with it until my mom she brought home a art blakey record art blakey on impulse and um she didn't even know who art blakey was my mom is not the the big music person in in the family she she likes anita baker that kind of thing she's not the big jazz head but she brought home um Art Blakey record, and she said, look, and I was at, in my room. I remember like it was yesterday. She said, look, he looks like he's having fun listening to this because he's smiling on the cover. Joe, I yeah. listened to that record, man. I couldn't put it down, man. Yeah. That, that CD, I couldn't yeah. put it down. The, one of the things that's great about interviewing so many musicians is that I remember clearly Bobby Watson talked about touring with Art back in the day, back in the Ooh-wee. 80s. And he went, when they would go to Europe, Art would get out there with those young kids and go, but you know, he just danced and discoed, and he just always had a young spirit about him. But, he, but at one point, he said at night, they were walking down the street, and there was a bunch of mist, and Art came through that mist, and he said he just looked like a comic book hero. I mean, just the way he swaggered through that mist, he said it was the coolest visual he's ever seen, and I can never get that visual out of my mind, you know? Damn. Um, but that, that, that was the guy, man. Damn. That was the one. He had the infectious groove, for sure. You know, the one thing about you is that you're well-educated. You went in 2004 to Rutgers, and then you went on and you got your master's. Talk to me about what formal education did to mold you as a musician. You know, uh, formal education, okay, you know, if you're, I'm an 80s baby, I guess, you know, I was born in 80, and by the time the 90s came around, you know, music was, jazz music was pretty much accepted in most universities and most uh, schools, right? So, I came up in the, during the period where it wasn't taboo to say you go to school for jazz. And I, I didn't even realize that my teacher at home in Cleveland, a guy named uh, Bill Ransom, he said, look, you know you can go to college for, 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 for jazz music. And I said, wow, okay. I learned things in, in college going to, going to jazz school for me, things that I didn't know I would learn. 
that had nothing to do with the music. See, I learned about kind of uh, punctuality and these kind of punctuality, uh, uh, having assignments in, understanding about uh, more 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 theoretical uh, concepts of the music, um, improvisational uh, things dealing with the music. That's these are things that I learned in terms of actual performance. I kind of learned, you know, I learned more um, along the, uh, like, actual, the actual doing of performing and playing with people. I was blessed to be able to be a professional musician before I graduated from any of these universities. I had a, I had a, a, a playing career before I graduated. And before, well, first I went to Ohio State and then I transferred to Rutgers. I had the opportunity to perform and play regularly with regular bands, uh, particularly in Columbus and maybe a year after I moved to uh, New Jersey to supplement the schooling. And that's so important. You have to play with breathing people who don't care about what school you go to, but more so about the groove that you're laying down in order to really be a- to be able to play the music the way it should be played, in my opinion, Joe, and that's been my experience. But school taught me about, uh, uh, I got hip to so many records, recording. I got hip to so many artists that I had no idea existed. My tenure at Juilliard really opened me up to be an educator and to be an historian. I love history. And I had one of the greatest, if not the greatest, jazz, one of the greatest jazz historians in Phil Shap as a mentor of mine, who still is a mentor of mine, who, who, who kind of took me under his wing while I was at Juilliard. And I really learned a lot on the, on, on the historical front, understanding where people came from, um, regional jazz. You know, uh, uh, how did jazz sound in St. Louis? as opposed to New Orleans, or how did, how did the music evolve in Kansas City as opposed to Cleveland? The sound of, of, of the music in Florida, Fort Lauderdale, you know, where Gigi Grice and, and others were from. So, I, you know, that was like Pandora's box to me, you're understanding different sounds, different people's concepts, you know? Absolutely. So from there, you go to Cleveland, to Columbus, to Indianapolis, and you end up in New York. Talk to me yes. about kind of talk to me a little bit about your geographical move and how you feel about you know where you're at today. The best move that I made was to move to New York City or the East Coast, the tri-state area. Before moving, I, I was in I was in uh, Ohio State and, and I I've been con- complaining about wanting not complaining but just saying you know I got I got to move because all, everybody who I looked up to had to have you know did their thing in New York all the village vanguard recordings and you know when I made that move I, I noticed musicians who were so they were so accomplished but I never knew who they were and that made that that humbles you uh you, you know who Derek Gardner is the trumpet player yeah De- Derek was at Ohio State at the time I I, I was telling him that you know I want to I want to move to New York and he said, well, okay, he was living in New York, going back and forth between Ohio State and New York. He said, okay, you can move to New York, but you have to understand, you're going to see and hear people that 
are are better than you or have something to offer more to offer that you never even heard of and it can it can and it can land you in the unemployment line. Very discouraged. <laughs> and I and I felt like, okay, well, if that concept is true, it's gonna be two people in the unemployment line because I felt like I had something to say. Musically. Yeah. So I moved and, 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 and he was right. I, I started to meet people my age and even younger who was playing the shit out of the drums. And I was like, you know, but this is hip because we have mutual respect for each other, which means, you know, you, you, you get these signs, Joe, that you should be somewhere. Like, okay, people are accepting what I have to play, what I have to say. But, you know, of course you always have to work on it. You, have to, you, you want to keep working. And that move also, it helped me to become uh, even more independent. Uh, I didn't know anybody when I moved, which means you have to create your own reputation. And I created my own reputation. Took yeah. any gig I could possibly take. I made sure I hung up hung up town at the at the at the speakeasy type joints and, and, and I you know I, I made sure I was in class ready to work, but I made sure after class I went to New York if I had the money, just hung out, just be seen, but strategically be seen, not be seen all the time. People can't miss you if you're seen all the time. You know, that kind of so I, I was kind of very strategic in how I, I, I moved about um, the, the, the East Coast in New York City and, and, and New Jersey. And it was a hell of an experience because uh, I, uh, a gentleman told me that when, when you move to New York, either either you get better or you quit. And that's right. the truth. I, I, yeah. I believe that wholeheartedly. You don't even have to practice and you'll get better. But if you see people growing around you and you're not growing and you feel like you're not growing at a, at a at a at a at an even pace, you'll you'll be discouraged. You won't want to play anymore. You'll you'll end up doing something else. Absolutely. Everybody in New York, New York, you have the best of the best, the worst of the worst, and everything in between. The the one thing about New York that I mean, it's it's the hub of the world of jazz. When you got there in the beginning, were you nervous? And how do you feel now? What are your feelings when you were there and you got to play at those places like Dizzy's or Vanguard or Birdland versus now. Were you nervous or has this been in your DNA? I was nervous, man. I'm always nervous. I'm always nervous, man. Yeah, you know, I, I I never dwell on this because I like to try to push it to the back of my mind. Uh, I, I'm I'm always nervous because as long as there's people like Victor Lewis still alive, Billy Hart, great artists, man. You you mentioned Bobby Watson and, I, and my, my my skin started to get goosebumps. I mean, prolific writer. Come on, man. I mean, like, you, you have to be – I don't I, – I get nervous often, but I try to channel it. A lot of these guys, man, these greats are still walking, man. They're still here. And, and, and when I first moved to New York, I was nervous, but I never, I never let nervousness make me not, not go out and perform. I, I don't let nervousness keep me from doing, but I, I, I'm always nervous, Joe. <laughs> yeah, no, that's Always cool, man. Nervous, man. And you know, over the years too, you've played with folks like Sonny Rollins, Hank Jones. You've talked about oh, yeah, Christian yeah. McBride. What do you learn from the masters and those that have been in the jazz world for a while? What do you what do you what do you get by osmosis or literally from them that helps you out? You learn everything from them. Uh, I, I, every little minute detail or, or or thing when we talk about learning. I mean, how to stand, how to. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking lobby calls. How to how to how to dress? How to speak? How to conduct interviews? How to uh, oh man? 
man, I mean, from from watching your behind <laughs> to your sound, like the, the cymbal sound, the, the way you tune your instrument, you learn this from, you learn everything from your elders, in my opinion. This is where that's, there's a thin line between formal education and learning out on the streets. Because when you when you're with a person like Sonny Rollins, he doesn't he, he he's he has a brand, and you have to fit inside that brand. And everybody who I've played with, who's a who, who's a, a, a juggernaut or, or 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 legend in the music, I, I put Christian McBride there. You know, they have a brand, and you have to be able to morph into fitting into that brand and everyone's brand is different. But when you get a person like Christian McBride, who's played with like everybody <laughs> from Bobby yeah. Hutcherson to Shaka Khan, he is one of the most talented. And I mean, his, his ability to be a side man and do that morph that I was talking about is unprecedented, man. Yeah, like 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 you know before, um, before Bob Cranshaw passed, he was talking to me about how he wanted he would he wanted sideman royalties for musicians who played on a lot of records and who who made certain people popular, like your Billy Higgins. To be a Billy Higgins, to be a Bob Cranshaw, to be a a a a a Christian uh, uh, McBride. That sideman role, it's very, very important. Uh, it's, 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 it's a talent within itself outside of being able to play your instrument. And when you play with, when you see a person like Bob or, 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 or Hank Jones, Mr. Jones, or Christian, they're a combination of so many artists because they play with so many artists. That's what makes you unique, in my opinion. That's what makes you unique. It's not you're not in a in a vacuum, and you learn everything from the elders, from your elders. You can pick up things from your peers as well. That's fine, but how we go about this music, how we go about how we dress, how we go about how you carry yourself, you learn from your elders because they've been here before. And if you've got a person like Sonny Rollins who's been in the game for over half a century, he's done something right. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. You know. Yeah. L let me ask you this. You know, you're, you're in New York City. You've been around a lot of jazz towns. If you could get into a time machine and go back in time and see a show, who would you go see and where would you go? Oh, my God. Mm. Wow. I want to, you know what I would do? You know what I would do? I go to the Savoy Ballroom, 1929, 1928, 29. I, 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 I'd want to see Chick Webb. I want to see him do his thing. There's not any footage. There's one, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a, a short uh, of him playing, but if he's not doing his thing. I want to see him in his element. And I, because, see, Buddy Rich, Kaiser Marshall, um, um, Louis Belson, Sonny Greer, these guys of that time, they went and checked out Chick Webb. I want to. I want to hear this guy. I want to hear this little dude with his band. I want to hear Louis Jordan in a swing jazz band context, and I want to see how the people respond to this music in its in in its pop heyday. 
I want to see that. You know, then maybe yeah. I go and check out check out uh, <laughs> Kaiser Marshall with oh Fletcher Fletcher Henderson. Yeah, 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 Fletcher. Yeah, Fletcher Henderson. I, I just yeah. want to see these guys. I want to hear these dudes. Like this is when the music was like king, like tops. You yeah. know. Yep. I want to experience that, man. Like see what it was. Without a doubt. No, that would be that'd be that'd be all right. Let me ask you this. Of all the people that you've played for, all the fans, what's one of the nicest things you've ever heard someone say to you about your music? Oh man, that's a tough one, Joe. The nicest thing I ever heard I was playing and my afterwards my grandmother, she was sick and she said that she didn't feel pain while I was playing. Beautiful. And and mission accomplished, people feel good. Forget about anything that's going on, uh, in their life. You know, people are going through abusive things at home, people going through abusive things outside. If you come in, hear me play, hear my band, and, and, and for that, like, 40 minutes or 50 minutes or so, you forget about everything going on, mission accomplished. Absolutely. Let me ask you this. Why do you love jazz? I think jazz music, Sonny says it, he says it's the greatest uh, art form. I, I, I agree um, with him. Because you're you're constantly creating while you have a job to do as a as a drummer. I have to make it feel good, and have to you know if, if the music requires that. But I also get to uh, you're like you're like you're painting in front of people in 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 time, in real time. It's not you don't get a chance to if you're if like a literal literal painter, you don't get a chance to. Kind of look look at it and go back, take a break, go back. You, you you have to respond to what's going on around you in real time, and you don't have any. You you can't you can't make a. You have to make split second decisions constantly, constantly, constantly. It's like you're taking a chance. Uh, you're constantly taking a chance in front of people, and you're communicating with your band. You're making split decisions. It's, it's it's almost like this this uneasiness that I'm addicted to. It's like this it's like this uh it's like this rub. It's like are we gonna make it? What's gonna happen? Yeah. Constantly. I mean I played I played disco music, I played funk music, I mean you lay it down. And that's cool, that's fun. But in in, in jazz music there's a certain art to swinging and 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 communicating with with each of your limbs as a drummer, like what you're hearing being thrown back at you, and then the audience is enjoying. You know, hopefully the audience is enjoying a conversation that you're having with with your band. They're like watching you. It's almost like uh, 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 you're a spectacle. I just love that, man. You never know what's gonna happen. You just know it's gonna feel good, but you don't know what else is gonna go down. That yeah. continuity. I love that, man. I love that. I dig it. I'm addicted to that. <laughs> That's good, man. That's good. That's a good addiction. Let me ask you this. This is my final question. Okay. You know, everyone has a version of who you are, your family, your friends, your fans. But when you wake up and you face the world, who do you think you are? I will say I'm a, I'm a black man born in America <laughs> that loves music, constantly looking for happiness, while grappling with capitalism, and it's tough, we all are dealing with this capitalism thing. It doesn't matter where you're from or who you are, or black or white, and 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 
man, through all of this, I just want to make good music. I just want to make good music and teach kids. I don't know if I'm even answering your question, Joe. No, dude, no. You know what? The beauty of this is that it's so subjective. You, you're, you're hitting it. It's about getting to the essence, and I think you're. That's 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 a great answer, and I think we've captured a good deal of essence with with your story and with your music. And hey, man, thank you for taking a little time out for me today, opening up and giving me your story. I appreciate it. So, uh, you know, I appreciate you. You know, you you giving me a call and just taking interest. Can can I ask you a question? You bet. Why why have you taken interest in this in this? I've been doing neon jazz. For about four years, I've had 400, 400 plus episodes. I've had several hundred interviews. And when I went into this, I made a very firm commitment because I love jazz. I've always loved jazz. That I'm going to get to the heart and I'm going to get to the essence of the music that I love. And that's why I want to interview. And that's why I want to profile. What I'm going to do with this interview is I'm going to splice it in with your music. When I got your album, it hit me. And that's what it does. That's what all you guys do that are making this music. And, and it's, a, it's a labor of love, man. If I can get, it's just like the story I told you about Art Blakey. There's, there's nothing in this world to me that's cooler than to get these firsthand stories and vignettes and these confessionals, so to speak, from the world of jazz. Because it's one thing to look into a book. It's one thing to listen to an album. But when you can hear the actual cells communicating yeah. about wow. what they love. That's that's it. Wow. That's, the, that's truth and music. You, and things dissipate, but I think these stories need to stick around, and that's what I'm doing. You know what, Joe, man? God bless you. Uh, you actually answered the question. one of the questions you just asked me just now. What do you get from the older guys? Yeah. See, <laughs> to hear these guys talk... I, you know, it's, it's interesting because you, you read the interviews, and, and I, I, man, I, I've read countless biographies and auto autobiographies are cool. But when you hear these guys talk, like Sonny Rollins told me something. When he said, "Man, I wish I was born nine years before I was born." Like he now, I mean, who says nine years? Yeah, that's a that's an odd number, like seven, eight, nine years. I mean, normally someone would just say ten, fifteen, twenty. I said, why did you? Why? Why would you? Why? Why? He said, because I missed the New Orleans guys, the rush of New Orleans guys from Chicago to New York. I missed those guys. I was like, damn. Like he said, he missed Sidney Bechet, like yeah. really, like playing and doing his thing. Uh, he 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 mentioned Liddy Singleton. He mentioned Pops. I was like, man. So like, I I would never read that anywhere. You, no. You, you know what I mean? Uh huh. Uh, St. Jones comes downstairs. He's, he's in the lobby 40 minutes earliest, 40 minutes before lobby call. So I got an opportunity, to, you know, if, if he's going to be down 40 minutes, it be, would behoove me to come down be dressed and just pick his mind while he's in a lobby by himself. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's the beauty of it. That's why when I went into this, I want to hear firsthand. You know, there's there's two things real quick that are interesting. I did get the very fortunate chance to interview Stephanie Rollins, and I asked him at one point. That mm-hmm. was amazing. And I and I asked him about um, his latest album, which was I think Roadshow Volume Two at the time. And he said, "Joe, okay. I'm still wa-, he said I'm still waiting to release my best album." And I'm sitting there, and it blew my mind. I'm like, "Dude, you're talking." <laughs> To a legend that saxophone colossus. What are you talking about? What do you mean you're yeah. waiting? You know. But, that sounds right. 
but but also one of the very first interviews that I ever did was with Hubert Laws, and I couldn't figure out because it was in the very beginning. He didn't know who I was. There was no reason for him to cater to me, and he really reached out, and he got on the phone in the very beginning. He said, Joe, let me explain you something right now. I went and got my car washed the other day, and he said, I've hit a point in my life where I've made enough money, I have enough clout, and he said, I got choices right now. I can give it away or I can hold on to it. And he didn't tell me explicitly in that moment why we were talking, but he did. And it it hit me. And I was like, he's giving it away. He's taken the riches of this life that he has lived that he feels fortunate about. When you talk to these cats, there's a charmed existence that goes into what they've done. They don't take it for granted and they're humble. They're, jazz musicians are the most humble people I've ever spoken to in my entire life. That's another underpinning of why this is so beautiful to talk to you guys. But he was genuine about the fact that wow. if I'm going to accumulate this suitcase from Pulp Fiction, so to speak, and I'm going to open it up, I'm going to let you know what's in it. And that's what he did. And that's what these guys do. I call all these guys from Lonnie Smith to Sonny, all these mm. guys, they're the Jazz Jedi Council. They're sitting in Cloud City around that <laughs> table. And they Absolutely. are letting the world know that, you know what, it is cool to be humble and it's cool to learn until the day you let your last breath out and that's what they epitomize and I love hearing it and and the timbre of their voice saying it is more than anything a Ralph Gleason interview or anything you can ever get involved with because that's beauty that's truth and beauty and there's nothing wrong with that so <laughs> you asking me if I get nervous man Sonny <laughs> Rollins saying talking like this you Dude, I know come on I know. man yeah <laughs> you it's, better be nervous it's a rhetorical question, that's for sure. That is for sure. Thanks for listening and tuning in to yet another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Cleveland, Kansas City, New York City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. And thanks to Jerome for his time, his honesty, the music, and those stories. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store, or visit the Neon Jazz YouTube channel. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.